well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am glad you joined the program today. The New York Times, uh, Gail Collins, writing about uh, gun control. She's very upset about uh, David Chipman not getting confirmed. In fact, not even getting a vote in the uh, U.S. Senate to be confirmed as the uh, head of the ATF. Why are we still going great guns, she writes in a a piece of the New York Times. Well, uh, the answer is quite simple, Gail. And that is that the American people are embracing their right to keep and bear arms uh, in record numbers. Now, according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation, almost 4 million new gun owners uh, just this year. That's on top of the 8.5 million gun owners that the uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation uh, estimates uh, purchased a gun for the very first time in 2020. Of course, uh, there are other surveys out there that show uh, maybe a, a smaller number. I think the National Firearms Survey, which uh, came out uh, not long ago, uh, they, they, they estimate about, uh, I think, something like 7 or 8 million uh, new gun owners since 2019. Uh, so their numbers are a little bit lower. But clearly, Americans are very invested uh, in uh, protecting themselves, protecting their loved ones, protecting their families. And, and that's why we are still going great guns, because the gun control lobby is all about trying to take away our ability to protect ourselves and our families. So I thought we could spend a little bit of time today going through uh, Gail Collins' latest column uh, at the uh, New York Times and just kind of uh, giving it a good thorough fisking, if you will. Let's start uh, well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Collins says, let's take a look at how well Joe Biden is doing with his gun safety agenda. And she says, we call this gun safety people because gun control makes a lot of politicians nervous. And really, what the heck? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that eliminating the sale of semi-automatic rifles would make the country more gun safe. Uh, well, that's a pretty thin-ass limb there, Gail, I got to say, given the fact that uh, rifles are used in fewer homicides, rifles of any kind are used in fewer homicides in this country than fists and feet. I won't put my foot up uh, to show you that. But uh, so, yeah, it, yeah that, 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 that's not really the limb that I would crawl out on, Gail. Because you want to ban guns that are owned lawfully by tens of millions of Americans and yet are rarely used in crime. Here's the thing, though. Even if AR-15s were the weapon of choice for criminals, it still wouldn't be constitutional to ban them any more than the Supreme Court said it was constitutional for Washington, D.C. to ban handguns when handguns were the weapon of choice for criminals. Because we don't predicate our rights as law-abiding responsible citizens on the actions of lawbreakers. We don't say, well, look, somebody's violating the law over there, so now you can't do this thing that's legal. That's absurd. Yet, that's pretty much how gun control works, isn't it? All right, Gil Collins goes on to say, banning assault weapons was on Biden's to-do list, along with universal background checks and a stronger, more forward-looking Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives under the leadership of David Shipman, who, she doesn't say, is a gun control activist. Well, here we are, she writes, less than a year into the administration, and Chipman's domination is kaput. Biden hasn't yet come up with a new name. This is not all that unusual, she writes, since congressional gun politics has limited the ATF to only one actual confirmed chief in the last 15 years. If anyone, she writes, ever does get to officially head the bureau, perhaps he or she could do something about its weapons tracing system, which is basically a vast mountain of paperwork, thousands of boxes high. Congress has made it illegal to put the records into a searchable computer database, a change that would make the whole process either efficient or a nefarious gun registry, depending on who you're talking to. 
Well, we know who's writing this piece, so we know what Gail Collins thinks. And I got to say, I'm not sure if there is a concerted effort underway at the ATF to uh, try to promote some sort of uh, electronic tracing system where you you know you you put all of these uh, uh, transactions uh, in an electronic database, which amounts to a gun registry. Um, the ATF is digitizing uh, old sale records that it has. But there was recently a piece, I think it was by the NBC affiliate in Columbus, Ohio. They actually went to West Virginia and went to the ATF's tracing center and did this puff piece on, gosh, look at all of these uh, papers there, and it's taking so long. Uh, they, they talked about uh, how it takes up to seven to ten days for a non-urgent tracing request to come back. They didn't say how long it takes for an urgent tracing request to come back, probably because it takes a lot less than seven to ten days. Meanwhile, you have people who would like to own a firearm who are waiting for six months to a year in order for uh, the state police or their local sheriff to process their gun permits in places like Illinois, where a permit is required before you can own a firearm even in your home, or North Carolina, where you are required to get a pistol purchase permit before you go to a gun store and purchase a handgun. Um, I, I, I got to say, I, I'm, I'm really not that bothered by the fact that it's taking seven to ten days for a non-urgent tracing request to come back. This is your government at work, particularly, again, when individuals who want to exercise their Second Amendment rights are having to wait far freaking longer in order to do so, thanks to government inaction. Not that that's going to get Gil Collins upset. No, no, no. Uh, Collins says, uh, quote, there are a limited number of other things that Biden can do on his own. He's made it harder for folks to acquire, quote, ghost gun kits that let them build their own weapons at home. Actually, he hasn't. He's proposed a rule. The public comment period is closed, but uh, that rule has not been put in place. And if it is put in place, we're probably going to see litigation. But never mind, Gail. Why, why would I expect a Collins for The New York Times to know anything about what she's writing about? Collins also says uh, he ordered a survey of weapons trafficking patterns, which sounds like a great idea, except for the part about the beleaguered ATF having to do the work. Meanwhile, she writes, Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, whose state, of course, was the site of the Sandy Hook school shooting, is trying to rally support for a bill to extend the current background check program to unlicensed sellers at gun shows. I mean, private gun owners. Yeah, right now, she says, one easy way to buy a gun without having anyone check to see if you have a history of criminal convictions, mental illness, or a domestic violence restraining order is to just plunk down some cash at a gun show. Um, not really, Gail. You know, because again, the rules are the same, whether you are a FFL uh, at a brick-and-mortar retail store, you're an FFL who operates out of your home, you're an FFL that works at a gun store, and the same is true if you are a private gun owner selling a gun from your private collection. The rules are the same no matter where you are. What matters is who you are. If you are an FFL, if you are engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms, then yes, every one of your customers has to go through a background check before you finish off that sale. If, however, you are a private citizen selling a firearm from your private collection, you are not required under federal law to put that buyer through a federal background check. And it's true, gun control advocates would love to put that restriction in place because why not criminalize an aspect of the Second Amendment? But Gail Collins doesn't write about the fact that, I don't know, when states like New Mexico, for instance, uh, put a universal background check law in the books just a couple of years ago, nobody's been arrested. Nobody's been charged with violating this law. Why? Because it's almost impossible 
to actually use that law in a uh, preventative fashion to actually stop an illegal gun transfer from taking place. At best, at best, a universal background check law offers prosecutors another offense to charge somebody with after a crime has been committed. And all too often, if in fact this uh, statute is used and says that have universal background check laws on the books, it's dangled as plea bargain bait. Right. So, look, we've got you on this violent felony, but if you plead guilty to this nonviolent misdemeanor, hey, I mean, come on, slap on the wrist and you're out on your merry way. That's the real benefit to universal background checks, not actually preventing criminals from illegally obtaining firearms. Uh, Gil Collins talks about the fact that violent crime increased last year. Homicides increased last year. Biggest increase, biggest one year increase, perhaps in American history. Uh, and Collins says, doesn't that seem like a situation? that would require at least a very modest show of concern in Congress, or at least a decent budget for the ATF. Well, I think that there is concern in Congress. I, I think the, the problem is that there are two competing points of view about what to do about this, right? Maybe even three. Because Democrats generally say, well, what we need to do is we need to restrict the right to keep and bear arms. It's a BS right anyway. It's not even a real right. Conservatives and Republicans generally say, uh, you know, we actually need to be focusing on violent criminals. We need to be supporting the police. And then again, you've got the defund the police uh, movement that's thrown in there. You've got uh, people on the left who say, look, more gun control laws aren't the answer because it leads to mass incarceration. So we need these, you know, community uh, based violence intervention programs that, that aren't necessarily law enforcement related. But Gail Collins just, you know, now, nah, unless Congress is passing the uh, anti-gun restrictions that she wants to see in place, Congress is literally doing nothing, and they don't care. Yeah. She says, uh, you know, I can't have anybody keeping efficient track of all those weapons. You can't, Gail, you, you, you can't keep track of all those weapons. We have 400 million privately owned firearms in this country. We have 100 million legal gun owners. And I, I got to tell you, all that would happen if you criminalize the transfer of these firearms without a background, checking, a background check taking place, is that you turn a lot of responsible gun owners into paperwork criminals. That's it. But the actual criminals, the violent criminals, they're not going to abide by this law. You're not going to be able to keep track of, you know, Pookie giving a gun to Q-tip. Nobody's going to be able to check that. It's ridiculous. All right, back to Gail Collins. Uh, she quotes a John Feinblatt of Everytown. He says, the gun lobby and its allies have spent 40 years sabotaging the federal government's ability to study gun violence, and the results have been deadly. Well, I, I got to say to John Feinblatt, I mean, if the gun lobby has been spending the last 40 years sabotaging the federal government's ability to fight gun violence, and for 25 of those years, violent crime actually declined to the lowest level seen in 50 years, by the way, before they started going up again in 2020. I mean, that, that seems like some really crappy sabotage if it actually leads to less violent crime, fewer people being killed. At the same time, by the way, millions of Americans embracing the right to keep their arms becoming concealed carry holders. That's the worst case of sabotage I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, all right, let's get back uh, to Gail Collins' piece. She says, uh, well, any progress is better than none. So here we are, she writes, watching Senator Murphy heroically trying to round up enough support to keep felons from buying pistols at gun shows. God knows his bill won't solve the whole problem, but if it passes, we can at least savor the thought that the weapons lobby finally had a bad day. 
you know, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'll be disappointed if a universal background check bill or any sort of background check bill gets through the Senate. Not because it's actually going to personally have an impact on me, but because it will criminalize an aspect of the right to keep and bear arms. It will turn responsible gun owners, as I said, into paperwork criminals. But even if you don't give a damn about that, it's not going to do anything to make us safer. It's not going to do anything to actually target those who are responsible for committing acts of violence. Because I got to tell you, Gail, most of those folks aren't getting their guns at a gun show. Most of them are getting their guns through theft, through family and friends, through straw purchases, through the black market. And so you're right. This won't actually, what did you say? This won't solve the whole problem? Yeah, you're right. It really won't even touch the problem. Because as long as the mentality is, we can ban our way to safety in a nation, again, with 400 million privately owned firearms, and by the way, a burgeoning 3D printing industry that makes it possible for somebody to make a gun at their home for just a few hundred dollars, there is no way. Let me say this again. There is no way to significantly reduce the number of firearms in the United States without wreaking havoc on the United States, on the country that we live in, without turning this into an authoritarian state. It's not going to happen. And the longer the gun control advocates insist that, no, no, we really can ban our way to safety, the more good people in bad neighborhoods suffer. The more innocent people who shouldn't be shot get shot. Because the gun control lobby is moving us away from what works down a path that, frankly, is a dead end for our constitutional rights, for public safety, and I believe, frankly, for the gun control movement as well. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We will start there from a uh, uh, Illinois newspaper. 16-year-old who allegedly fired on rival gang member to be tried in an adult court. That's because he's run out of chances in juvenile court. Uh, Devontis Miles has had a history of police contacts dating back to when he was 12 years old, according to prosecutors. And uh, they say that uh, the juvenile court has nothing more to offer, Mr. Miles. Judge Anna Benjamin in Urbana, Illinois, agreed. Says that uh, Miles has met the criteria to be prosecuted as an adult for a uh, attempted uh, a theft uh, of a cars at a, uh, at a uh, steak and shake in Urbana, and a shooting in Rantoul, Illinois. The uh, state's attorney, Julia Wrights, says uh, that Miles, quote, has moved from beating up others to the gun issue that's facing our community. These are adult decisions this young man's making. He's chosen to live this life. He is dangerous. Some previous incidents, 2019, August 23rd, Miles, one of three teenagers who jumped a student who was heading to football practice, stole his shoes. After the victim got up, Miles continued to chase and hit the victim. Miles was convicted of mob action. He was sentenced to probation. Uh, December 2020, Miles posed in a Snapchat photo with a, a rifle and two handguns. The uh, rifle, by the way, had been stolen from uh, a home in Champaign, Illinois. The girl he knew lived at the uh, home. Miles said the girl's mom left for the weekend, leaving her by herself. She invited over other teenagers, including Miles. 
and a loaded semi-automatic rifle and a semi-automatic handgun stolen from the garage. Police later obtained a search warrant for a car that belonged to Miles, found a handgun with a magazine in the trunk. Miles admitted that the gun was his. It was not one that was stolen from his friend's home. Those guns were never recovered. Uh, Miles eventually pleaded guilty to possession of a handgun and was sentenced to probation in that case as well. So I got to say, when the state's attorney says that um, the juvenile court has nothing more to offer Devonta's Miles, I would agree. But I would also ask, what has the court actually offered Miles? If this kid, who again is now 16 years old, has had repeated police contact since the age of 12, and, and he's been a part of the juvenile justice system since then, and the goal of the juvenile justice system is to rehabilitate these individuals, right? It's not to simply incarcerate them. We want to, we, these are young minds, they're malleable, we can try to steer them in the right direction. So what was done to actually try to steer Mr. Miles in that right direction? Because it doesn't appear to have worked at all. Uh, and in fact, the juvenile recidivism rate in Illinois is atrociously high. More than 50% of juveniles who are arrested in the state of Illinois end up being arrested again within three years of them turning uh, 18. Uh, Mr. Miles hasn't even reached the age of 18 yet, but it looks like he's already heading in that direction. All right, uh, today's Armed citizen story from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where a subway employee shot and killed an alleged robber. Now, we've got a piece that's bearing arms right now about a... Uh, a subway worker in Illinois who was suspended from her job after she defended herself from an armed robbery. Uh, and the uh, video of this went viral online. This story out of Albuquerque is not getting nearly as much attention, I got to tell you. This was about 5.20 Tuesday morning. Officers called to a shooting at a subway. Uh, Gilbert Gallegos, spokesman for the Albuquerque Police Department, says uh, it appears that uh, the suspect entered the business, attempted to rob one of the employees. There was an employee who was armed, came out of the back room, I think, to help the other employee who was being robbed. And uh, that armed employee shot the robber. Gallego says, as far as we know, the robber was armed. It says detectives are very interested in who this attempted robber is and what motivated the robbery this early in the morning at this location. Um, he said, it's concerning, by the way, that we have not had in at least a few years an armed robbery at a restaurant or a business that turned into a homicide. Now we've had two in the past couple of weeks. Well, yes and no. It is concerning, but I, I'm also pleased that the employee there was able to protect themselves and fellow employees from the would-be armed robber, because uh, if there's going to be a homicide and, and an attempted robbery, I would prefer that the homicide be justified. And it sounds like that's the case here in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. All right, finally today, our good deed of the day, Ben Salem Police. In the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save the life of a man in an apartment fire. This was uh, last month when the fire took place, but the three officers are uh, being honored now. Officers uh, Stephen Ams, Samuel Ladd, Kenneth Branford, speaking with uh, Bucks County DA Matt Weintraub about what happened back on uh, August 25th when a fire broke out of the Bucks Meadow Apartments there in uh, Ben Salem. Officer Am says, uh, when I ran up the steps, it was pitch black. We were able to shine a flashlight. I saw the victim laying in the doorway unconscious. Uh, Officer Ladd said because of the heavy smoke, officers had to run back outside first to get a breath of fresh air before running back into the smoke and taking care of the victim. He said, all right, we got to get back in, and we went right back in. Uh, he, Ams, and Bradford carried the man to safety. Uh, the uh, resident uh, is okay. And uh, Bradford says... Um, 
getting that victim out of the building brought a wave of emotion to him. He said, I obviously felt relieved we got out. I was a little bit worried about his condition, whether there's anybody else in the apartment. Uh, that victim is still hospitalized, but he is recovering, according to the DA's office. And uh, the district attorney says that uh, the officer's selfless act uh, makes them pillars of the community. He said, quote, we're all very blessed to have each of you protecting us as we go about our lives. Well, I'm glad to see them getting a little recognition for that. We uh, uh, pray for a, a speedy recovery for the uh, individual who was rescued by these officers. Again, in the right time. Excuse me. In the right. Uh, what was that? Right time, right place, able to do the right thing. Yeah, we thank you again for your very good deed. Uh, and that is going to do it for this edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back on Monday with the latest Second Amendment news and information. And we're going to be talking with a Colorado district attorney who has handled his share of high-profile shooting cases, uh, including uh, a, a case in which a sentencing is going to take place tomorrow. Uh, Friday. George Brockler is going to be with us on the program. We're going to talk about uh, these cases, what he has learned from prosecuting some of these high-profile shootings. Again, the, the Aurora Theater uh, shooting, this uh, shooting at a, a STEM school uh, in Aurora, Colorado, just a couple of years ago. Are there any lessons that he's learned? Uh, that's coming up again on the next edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. Thanks for being a part of this program. Don't forget to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day and the weekend for uh, more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP member. Just go to barrenarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNS and you can get 25% off of your VIP membership. Uh, we really do appreciate your support. It allows us to do programs like this Monday through Thursday, each and every week. Uh, and in return, we'd like to give you exclusive analysis, commentary, news stories you won't find anywhere else. Uh, again, just our way of saying thank you for showing support. Until we talk again, be well. Be safe and be free.